Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. It was a real privilege to sit with Andrew as he shared his story of grief and of loss and of seeking after God and where God is in the midst of that. And it reminds us that we have this rich tradition of lamenting and naming our grief very openly and honestly as fully part of our faith. And that was what really stood out for me in this conversation with Andrew. He does just that. He is honest and vulnerable and we can't avoid the rawness of the experience that he went through and that still at times he's going through. And I love this word witness. I think it's one of the profound ways of being human. Our ability to witness and be present to each other's pain. And maybe this is what we can reclaim as the church. The gift that we have to give is to be deeply present with one another in all of our human journey. So we invite you now to listen to Andrew's story, and we want to acknowledge at the outset that this is dealing with the the tragic story of a death of a child. So we encourage you as you listen, as it brings things up for you, to make sure you take some time for your own self-care as you encounter someone else's pain. So at the end of this episode, there will be a time of silence to make some space for you to do that. Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Kathy. It's great to to see you again and to have some time together to hear some more of your story. And the reason you are back with us is you made a comment when we spoke last year uh, with the conversation with Jody and, and Kathy and you and myself about the death of your son. And that sounds like an incredibly difficult thing to happen. In fact, it doesn't just sound like that. That is, of course, an, an incredibly difficult thing to have happen. And we thought that having a conversation about what that was like and how you have processed that and, and what the church can and should do in the future as these kinds of things happen to people. So thank yeah. you so much for being willing to come and share some of the story and guide us through a really difficult topic. Yeah, and I just want to add, I just feel really privileged that you are letting us into something like this and and the depths of sorrow that this would have taken you through. So thank you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to share. And and you're right, it is it is a topic that I have very mixed emotions about. Even sharing it, you know, some days it's good, other days, you know, I don't want to go anywhere near it. Yeah, today's not so bad so far. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, as we begin, perhaps, would you be willing to share some of the story around what happened? Yep, okay. So my name's Andrew. I'm married to Xanthia. We have, we had at that stage, or we still have, I still say we have four children. One of them just lives with God rather than with us. Mm. And that's how I speak of that now. So anyway, we were pastoring together at that stage in New Plymouth and Life was good. You know, for us, life was good. The church was good. We enjoyed what we were doing. Our kids were great. And then on the 16th of February, 2005, 
the day started pretty much like any other day, really. We got the kids ready for school. We farewelled them with an I love you. And the reply that they always knew was, we love you too. And off they headed out the door to go to school. And on that particular day, I actually happened to bump into Nathaniel, who was getting on his bike to go to school. And, and we just chatted for a couple of minutes in the driveway. And then he biked off to college. And later that day, I got a call from my oldest son. And he said, oh, how's Nathaniel? And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he said, oh, well, one of my friends just rang me and said that Nathaniel collapsed at school. And I just wondered how he was. And I said, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything. And I said, oh, I'll ring the school and find out what's going on and, and get back to you. So I rang the school and they said, oh, we've been trying to get hold of you, but we didn't have your contact details, which we later found in the pocket of Nathaniel's shirt. He'd never handed them in. But anyway, um, and so when I rang the school, they said to me, oh, you need to go to the hospital. Your son collapsed. The ambulance has taken him to the hospital. And then she said, and it's not looking very good. And I thought, oh. So I jumped in my car and I'm barreling as fast as I can through town to get to the hospital. And the whole way I'm saying to myself and to God, God, it looks like we, we need a miracle. Can you please keep Nathaniel alive? And you can see it's beginning to impact me a bit now. And um, mm. so I arrive at the hospital and I walk into the emergency ward and I say, oh, no, I'm Andrew Bollin, I'm my son's here, and they say, oh, we'll take you through, and they lead me through into this, into the recess room, where there is a team of doctors standing around Nathaniel, and they are all working as hard as they can to try and resuscitate him. And so I, they get me to come up, and I go up, and I hold Nathaniel's hand, and I, I say, just tell him I love him, actually, and then... Um, I just go and sit on a chair at the side and I just watch. And then eventually the, the head guy comes over and we have a chat and um, it's obvious they're not going to get him back. And, um, and that's it. And so then I have to start ringing people. You know, I have to ring Xanthia and I have to ring my kids and I have to say, you, you need to come to the hospital. And the Nathaniel's did and um, yeah and and then we you know, you've got to face this reality that here's this kid who's 15 he was fit he was healthy he'd been the school athletics champion the year before and here he is lying dead on a trolley at the hospital yeah and and um, we then had to try and work through what that meant for us. And I remember that night lying in bed and it was like someone had reached down into my chest and just pulled my heart out. Mm -hmm. It was just this great aching hole yeah. in my chest. A physical pain. There's just yeah. a physical pain in my chest. And, um, yeah, and we just, you know, we we had to ring our parents and tell our parents that their grandchild had died and ring our friends and tell them that our son had died. And um, 
yeah, it was it was tough. It was really, really tough. And um, that the week that followed, I lost six kilograms in weight. Now I just neither of us ate. Yeah, the pain was just so overwhelming, you know. And yeah, and then you know, it's eighteen years since Nathaniel died. And some some days are really good, and then I've set myself off the year now, as you can see. But then, you know, there are days that you wake up, and it's like it was only yesterday. Yeah. And on on those days, you really feel feel it again, just like it was when he first died. So so I guess in there, this you know they say time heals. And it does, in a sense, you know, the time has healed. You know, we talk about Nathaniel a lot, and um, our grandkids know all about him, Uncle Nathaniel. And, mm. you know, I've got a picture on my desk, the last picture ever taken of him, which was his school photo for the, you know, only a couple of days before he died. So that was the last photo we had of him. And we also realize that sometimes. You know, I said about the time heals. It doesn't take it away. You know, mm. It doesn't take that pain away. And my experience of talking with other parents, even parents who've lost a child a long time before, is that that pain is carried by them for the rest of their lives. You know, and and I've talked with other parents about the fact that you you join a club that nobody wants to belong to. You know. You know, this is the club of parents who've lost a child. None of us want to be in it, yeah. but but you are. You know, and um, yeah, yeah. It, somehow you have to, to to learn to live with that. Yeah, I remember Brian Smith when we were at Kerry. He said to us, "You know, we live in a world where we have minimised loss. Mm. You know, that's how the Western culture." deals with loss we minimize it by hiding it so mm. we take out insurance so that if we have a car accident we don't experience any sense of loss the car gets fixed you know we take out insurance on our house we insure each other so that there's no financial loss and we do the same with death you know we, we minimize death right down and, I, I, and that's a huge loss of our of our culture i think mm. as europeans is that you know, the number of funerals now where you take, where everything happens at the funeral home. But when Nathaniel died, I rang the funeral director and, and I said to him, and I knew the guy, you know, I've done lots of funerals with him. Yeah, right. And I said, oh, look, our son's died. And um, are you able to help us? And he said, oh, yeah, yep. And he said, so do you want to have a cremation or do you want to have a burial? And I'm thinking, oh, because you never think about that sort of question with your kids. Mm. We had been a child in our school had died, and we had gone to the funeral. His Maori child had died, and um, he was buried. And when he was buried, the family stood around the grave. They filled it in. They stamped the ground down. They put the grass down, and then they said, "It is done." And they turned and they walked away as a family. And um, I remember at the time thinking, 
man, that was powerful. So when Nathaniel died and the funeral director said, what do you want to do? We said, we want to bury him and we want to fill the hole in. Hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, we can arrange that. And then he said to us, do you have a plot? And, of course, we didn't have any plots. And we said, no. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, we've just taken over sort of looking after this little primitive Methodist plot that has been closed for years, and the council have just said that we can reopen it. So do you want to go and have a look at it? And so we went there. We, we bought this plot. In fact, we bought three plots, one for him, one for me, and one for, for Zanthia, side by side in this tiny little primitive Methodist graveyard. And Nathaniel was attending the local Catholic high school at the time when he died, and he died at school. And so they they said, oh, we want to come to the funeral. And so we said, well, we need a, a venue. So the only venue that was big enough in town was the AOG church, which could seat about 1,200 people. And so we said to them, so he said, oh, I'll ask them if we can have, have it there. And so we had this Baptist kid. His funeral service was held at the AOG church. He was buried in a primitive Methodist graveyard and the Catholics attended and they did the catering for his funeral right. and um, so they closed the school and his entire school came so there were about 1200 people the church was jam-packed for this kid you know and all these baptist ministers who turned up and all of that sort of stuff but it was just fascinating and then we we took him back to the graveyard and buried him and we did what we had seen the Baldy family do and they we filled the grave in and patted it all down, put the sod back down on the ground. And one of the guys lived just next door to the graveyard. And so he came over and watered the grass just to make sure that it <laughs> And it was, it was just this weird situation, but, but it was like saying goodbye properly. And we actually had Nathaniel at home. So we had him at home for four days, just in his room. And his casket was in the garage. And it was just a plain white casket. And... So for four days, we had hundreds of kids come into the house to write on his casket and to go up and sit and talk with him in his room. Mm. And there's something about that process, which we pitched really from our connection with Māori people, about let's actually experience the loss. Let's not try and pretend it didn't happen. And, and at the end, we were physically and emotionally wiped out, you know. But that was the majority of it, you know. We were ready to move on after that at, at one level, you know. It wasn't not like we were saying, oh, it never happened or anything like that. But to be able to say, you know, we've, we've, we've done this huge amount of grief work just by having them at home and by doing these things, not denying what was happening and owning up to the loss that we've got. And then you can move, you can then sort of get yourself back on your feet and start again. So, yeah. You've named some really important things for us to hear. You know, nothing can prepare you for what happened on that day. You know, there's there's just nothing from, it's, it's like night and day, isn't it? You've gone from, you know, that start of the day to your whole life got upended, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I think, too, even hearing, I mean, this is why it's important for us to hear what you're saying about that 
how long it's been, but there are days when it still feels like it was just yesterday. Mm. And that's really important for us to hear that. So that as communities and as friends, that we know to even check in, to go, what is today like for you? Mm. We We have one friend. So every year for the last 18 years, he has rung us on the day to ask us how we're doing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so it's almost like, you know, and that and that example, I mean, of, of your friend, they're helping to hold the memory with you. Mm, yeah. Oh, How important yeah. that is. Yeah. So it's not just not just you, but they're remembering with you. Yeah. And and I think the important thing there, Kathy, is is that our child is gone, but actually we don't want to forget. No. Yeah, we don't want to forget what he was like. Yeah. And um yeah, well, you're losing it here. Um, but you know, he he was he was part of our life, and we loved him, and mm. you know, we enjoyed having him as a son. Mm. And then suddenly he's gone, and and you don't want people to pretend that he never existed. Mm. You know? yes. and, and sometimes that's how people respond. You know, they they don't know what to say, they don't know how to deal with it. So so there. Their way of coping is to act as though you've only ever had three children. Wow. You know, and so some people, you know, they, they act like you've only ever had three children because mm-hmm. they can't cope with the idea that you lost a child. But for a parent, you know, we we had four children, you know, not three. Mm-hmm. And I never want to forget who he was or what he meant to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, you're naming that tension between, you know, we don't want to bring it up in case you feel that sadness. But what you're also saying is, and bringing it up, it is making you know that we we remember and we haven't forgotten. So mm. it's kind of sitting in that, isn't it? Isn't that that yeah. tension? And yeah. I think too, one of the things that you're highlighting is we have to learn to sit in our uncomfortable space. We have to learn to sit with it. It's really uncomfortable for us, but it's important. And maybe this is where you could speak to what do we need to do? What, what, what were the things that were helpful and what were the things that, (laughs) you know, just created more heartache for you? Yeah. So I'm a pastor in a church and my son dies. My leadership team have no idea what to do. Mm. Nobody's ever taught my elders or my leadership team, mm. this is what you do when the, when the pastor's child dies. Nobody ever, it's just never in your framework. You know, you don't run classes for an elders group on, you know, what to do when the pastor's child dies. And, and so they were just, they had no clues whatsoever. So two weeks after Nathaniel died, two Sundays after, I was back preaching. Wow. Okay. So I think I had maybe one or two Sundays off, and then I was back into it. So you know, nobody said, can we arrange a grief counsellor for you? Nobody said, do you need time off to process any of this? And then we used to have people in the church who would come to us and say, our child is really missing Nathaniel. You know, what do we do? You know, because he had friends in the church 
and so here we are having to minister to our congregation who are also grieving the loss of one of their favorite kids in the church. You know, I mean, it was it's just this weird situation you find yourself in. And I don't think the denomination had ever really given it any thought either. What do you do when one of your pastor's kids dies? Or nobody from the denomination rang our church secretary or anybody on our leadership team to say, do you guys need any support mm. in caring for your pastor? Or could we help support you, your church and your pastor at this time? So there was sort of big gaps in the system. Rodney and Lorna actually were very good to us. They drove up from Wellington to Taranaki and took us out for lunch. And we just sat outside in this cafe and all cried together. Rob Kilpatrick, mm. bless his heart, he was absolutely superb. Absolutely superb. But apart from that, we were sort of pretty much left on our own, actually. So there is some stuff in there for churches to think about. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, what happens when a leader in your church suffers? And we've had quite a few. You know, mm. we've got pastors who are experiencing ongoing grief at the moment. Um, you know, so how do we support support them? Yeah. Maybe in the past we just denied, we pretended it hadn't happened. But I think we're becoming a bit better at actually acknowledging that it does happen and and how do we help people walk through it. But it's taken us a while to get there, yeah. Mm. And maybe it's partly too because of what you highlighted earlier. What kind of expectations do we have of God? And then yeah. that informs how we deal with loss. And so if we haven't done enough of that thinking, then, yeah, we, we, we just don't know how to do it. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think, you know, that we're probably the charismatic movement. You know, it brought lots of life to our churches, but it also has a particular theological bent when it comes to suffering. Mm. You know, and, and so it's about, you know, if we just pray hard enough or enough people pray, then God will intervene and make it right. You know what I mean? And and sometimes God does. But if that's if that's where we sit all the time, then we have no space to say this person is now dying and it's obvious God isn't intervening. So how do we walk with this person, this family, this community through what is now going to be a very difficult journey. We had um, a family who came to our church when we were in New Plymouth and um, they said to us, oh, you know, we, we've left our other church, it was a, a Pentecostal church, because the pastor told us that now that we've accepted that our daughter is going to die, We've demonstrated our lack of faith in God, so we're not really welcome in the church anymore. Oh, and I think you've just disconnected this family from the one community that they need, you know, because your theology says we can't have that. 
And I think we hurt people when we do that sort of stuff. It's deep harm. Yeah. Oh, it's deep, deep harm. You know, mm. the, the husband never never went near church again, but the wife and daughter came to us. You know, and, and eventually she died, actually, just a couple of months after after Nathaniel did. But, you know, the, the reality is that we know God doesn't heal everybody. Sometimes God does heal people. I, I, I've, I've seen it, but God doesn't heal everybody the way we want. And so the question has to then be, well, where is God in the midst of this then? How's God going to help us travel through this time that we're facing? And maybe, maybe you know, you think about not even just with sort of suffering like that, but, you know, when the church itself faces stuff, you know, is God going to rescue the church, you know, and make us almighty and powerful again? Or actually, mm-hmm. does God say, actually, you guys just need to learn to trust me in the midst of everything that, that's going on around you? And it may be that we're not going to be as big and fantastic as we used to be, but that's not necessarily a sign that we're failing or that God has abandoned us. Mm. Yeah, but that's, that goes into something completely different. So, mm. you know, so as I said, you know, some people wanted to avoid talking to us about Nathaniel at all. So some people, they just can't cope with the idea that you have lost a child. I think for some it's a, it's too threatening because for some of them, the idea of, I mean, I've, I, I have parents who when I've talked about losing a child. You could just, just see them sort of almost freeze because they're trying to imagine if their child died and they almost become paralysed by that. Yeah, and it's not that they've been horrible or anything. It's just that suddenly for them, they just can't, I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like. And so to try and hold a conversation with you about it, it's just too threatening for them. Yeah, so so we had people who wouldn't talk to us about it. They just hoped we wouldn't raise it, and they never named him and things like that. But one of the other things I found, especially with Christians, was this idea that I guess in their thinking, somehow God had allowed Nathaniel to die, and therefore they feel like they have to defend what God has allowed to happen. Mm. So you end up with this idea of, I don't even know how you describe it, something, um, you know, maybe God wants you to teach you something through this. Um, God needed him in heaven, especially with young people. That was a big one with young people would say to us, oh, obviously God wanted Nathaniel in heaven. You know, maybe he needed another drummer. <laughs> you know, you think, really? But yeah. anyway, um, you know, and you've got lots of pop answers, pop theology yeah. type answers, you know, not really dealing with the whole issue, but but trying to, to justify why God has let your child die. And, and those were really unhelpful mm. types of responses. Yeah. I mean, we, Cynthia had a lady that um, she was working with at the time. She said to her, Cynthia was talking about Nathaniel dying just only days before. And um, she said to Cynthia, oh, my dog just died. So, you know, I know how you feel. And and then um, a few weeks later, she said to Cynthia, you know, you guys just need to get over it and move on. I've bought myself a new puppy. Wow. You know, and, and it's just this, 
total inability to to sort of empathize or to actually understand what someone else is going through and and to sort of minimize the pain that that others are experiencing yeah so so those are probably some of the worst ones and interestingly there, there wasn't a huge difference between people who follow Jesus and people who don't okay and how they responded to us you know, overall, people were incredibly good to us. You know, in our own church family, they they fed us for six weeks, five nights a week. We would have a meal delivered to our door, and it's just as well because Santa and I, the last thing we could think about was cooking food, mm. and so our other kids would have starved. <laughs> you know, apart from the fact that these meals would keep turning up on our doorstep from all the people in the church. And that went on. And and people in our wider community that we knew, we were actively involved in in a school just across the road from the from our church, a little primary school. And I was chairman of the board there and Santa was the school chaplain. And so they knew us really, really well. You know, mm. we belonged to them and and so they wanted to see what they could do to help us. And I remember one day this teacher at the school, it was the day that after Nathaniel had died, and we were sitting in the school staff room and this teacher on the other side of the room she just suddenly blurts out she says how on earth can there be a god if he lets your child die after all you do in our community so she just couldn't reconcile the idea of of a god who cares with what we were experiencing so um, what was helpful from the church we had a young pastor who had just started in, in New Plymouth at one of the other Baptist churches there. At that time, he, he turned up at our house and he came in the room and he just stood there and uh, he looked at me and he didn't say anything. And you could just, I could just see he didn't know what to do or what to say. But the important thing was that he came. Mm. You know, and, and I think... You know, the most important thing that you can do for someone in a situation like that is your presence. Mm. That presence is everything to people because the fact that even if you don't know what you're going to say and you don't know how you're going to respond, you know, and and he looked, you know, talk about looking like a fish out of water. He just, it's obvious he just is completely out of his depth. But he came and he expressed his love to us by his presence, you know, and that's what we needed to hear at the time and see. Yeah, and others did the same. You know, I, I had um, we had so I've got a group of mates that I grew up with, and they all just turned up at our house uninvited. You know, within within twenty four hours they had arrived, and and they'd arranged accommodation not with us but with other people in our church. So they had rung a church secretary and arranged accommodation with people in our church so that they could be there for us. So presence and those sorts of things, I think is probably the most important thing for people. It was for us anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be others for whom that is a bit too scary, but but for us, that sense of you have come to sit with us in our pain without trying to give us answers, but just to be there, yeah, that would be an enormously important thing to do for people. That question the teacher called out, 
What a great question. <laughs> oh, it is. Can you speak to us a little bit about how this experience has impacted the way you view or you understand God and who God is and, and how God acts in the world? Yep, I'm happy to uh, talk about that a bit. A couple of weeks after Nathaniel died, I was sitting in my office and uh, I could just feel this volcano building inside of me, just this this anger that was just, you know, it was, it was quite strong. Mm. And so I rang my spiritual director and I said to her, I have to come, I have to come and talk to you. Can I come now? And she said, yeah, I've got some space, just come. And so I turned up and I just talked about how angry I was with God and how much I felt that God had let me down and just how, how do you make sense of all of this? Hmm. Now, she didn't give me any answers. She was very wise. She, she didn't give me the answers, but she she helped me to listen to those questions. And it was her that gave me the poem that I'll, I'll read to you a bit later on that just helps to express some of that angst that you feel in those sorts of situations. Hmm. But I have to also say that in the midst of all of that anger and that wondering, I was also very aware that God was somehow with me in the midst of it, that God hadn't abandoned us. You know, I always used to, you know, sometimes these things happen, but, you know, I, I always used to sort of not mock, but sort of think a little bit, oh, yeah, you know, when people say expressions like, oh, you know, we felt God's arms underneath us in the midst of that situation. And I always used to think, yeah, what, is that? what does that mean? but that's exactly what we felt Mm. I don't even know how to articulate how that was but for us as a couple that's exactly how we felt somehow we felt that God was supporting and holding us in the midst of all of what we were facing you know there's a story in the Bible about Jesus and the disciples and it tells us that All these people are abandoning Jesus. They're all leaving him and they're going away. And Jesus says to the 12, are you guys going as well? And Peter turns to Jesus and he says those words, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. Where would we go? And that little story became really important for me because, you know, I was annoyed with God. In fact, you know, I was pretty pissed off with God, you know, if I'm quite frank. And yet at the same time, where else were they going to go? You know, this is the God who I love, but I hate at the same time. You know, it's, it's like you have an argument with your best friend, you know, and you don't want to see them, but at the same time, who else do you go and talk to? You know, you know it's that, mm-hmm. it was that sort of feeling of the only person who can get me through this is God. But actually, I'm not really on speaking terms with you at the moment. So somehow God sits with us in the midst of that and helps us through it. Yeah. And Andrew, there'll be people listening who really need to hear this, Mm. who really need to hear that they're going to feel both. (laughs) And it's okay. Yeah. 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 And I think that says something about, you know, because when you read the Psalms, now, how mm. often do we read that in the Psalms? You know, God, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? You know, that 
we don't use that language ourselves so much nowadays, but it's exactly that sort of feeling of, you know, I put my trust in you and it looks like you've let me down. And now I don't know whether I can trust you. And mm. But where else do I go? You know what I mean? It's that mm. I can't go anywhere else. Nobody else has got an answer for me. So I've got to come back to you as hard as that is going to be because actually in the end, you're the only one who can bring life to the situation in the midst of all of that gloom and pain and suffering. Yeah. I think that tension that you're holding for us of, I hate you, God, right now, and yet I still feel your arms under me. Like that's a, that's, I don't know, we can't, I can't explain how that works. But I think that the beauty of, of you know, we're kind of afraid of those those um, you know, quote unquote negative emotions towards God, because perhaps we're afraid that God will be angry back, right? But actually, oh, in that yeah. moment, you, where you are, yeah, at your yeah, your angriest, or yeah, however we might describe that, somehow you also knew you were being carried in that. That's that's an incredibly important tension for us to, to recognize and just highlights for me the the way that God loves us from from in our best times to our worst times yeah 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 what an incredible example of that yeah because I think you know there, there's some questions that it raises for me theologically you know because yeah. I, I like to think about stuff theologically I, yeah. I spent a lot of my time thinking about this sort of stuff and like that so I spent quite a bit of time thinking about, so why did God let my son die? Mm. You know, because at one level, I don't, I don't think God took my son. Mm. You know, and I don't think God said, "Right, your time is up. You're coming with me." You know, mm. so I, I don't think in those sorts of terms about what happened. You know, my son died because his heart stopped. That's what happened? You know, and we live in a world in which death is part of the fabric of life, whether we like it or not. It, it's there. So I spent a lot of time sort of trying to work through what this meant, you know. And and I I read some pretty sad stuff actually. I read I read this book by a pastor whose son had died, and his conclusion at the end was that God was punishing him as the dad because of his actions and therefore had taken his son. Oh, my goodness. And I just, I mean, I just, it made me so angry, you know. I, I read that and I thought, well, what sort of God is that? Mm. You know, a God who kills your son because you did something to upset him? I mean, that's certainly not the God I believe in. So, you know, for me... Nathaniel died because he lives in a world in which there is suffering and pain and sickness. And that's just the way it is. But it raises a question for me about this, I guess, this question of what do we expect of God? Mm. You know, why do we expect that God is there to save us and keep us safe from suffering? Why do we expect that? Mm. You know, what does it mean when for us to have an interventionist God versus a God who walks with us in the midst of our pain. And for me, I've come to realize 
that God is with us in the most sad and tragic moments of our lives to help us get through them, not to keep us safe in some ivory tower where, where we don't experience all of what life may throw at us. And, you know, those experiences and that ability to trust God in the midst of those experiences, I think, helps us really understand what faith is all about. So faith isn't, for me, about believing that God is going to necessarily heal somebody. Well, sometimes that does happen, and I have prayed for somebody, and God has healed them. So I don't want to discount the fact that that I have actually seen sort of this interventionist God thing. But on the whole, I don't think that is how God works, that God is much more there with us in the midst of everything we face, the good and the bad. And maybe, you know, as Christians, we've got this idea that because I'm a Christian, God is on my side and now everything's going to go sweet for me. And I mean, I've sat in, I've sat in appeals where I've heard preachers say those very sorts of things. You know, if you come to Jesus, your life will be sweet. And of course, we all know that it's not true, that at some point, people you love will die, people you love will get sick, you'll lose your job, you might lose your spouse, you might end up in a divorce. You know, all of those things can happen to us. And it's not that God keeps us safe from those things, but that God says, when these things happen to you, I will be there with you in the midst of all of that. And it's not necessarily going to be easy, but if you trust me, I will help you walk through it and get out the other side. And in the process, you will be changed. Mm. I am not the person I was before yeah. Nathaniel died. Mm. And that's, I don't want to say I, I'm glad that he died so that I am what I am now. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that in the midst of all of that, I have been changed. And, and I remember somebody, uh, one of the, old, the old guy that I used to meet with, for prayer in our first church after Nathaniel, a year or so after Nathaniel's death, he said to me, Andrew, do you realize how much your preaching has changed? Mm. And I said, now what do you mean? He said, you have an authenticity about your preaching that I don't think was there before. Wow. And I thought, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. And I, I can't even quite describe what he meant. But somehow I think he was trying to say to me that the words that you said before about trusting God and God being with us were sort of theoretical. Now you're on the other side and they're not theory anymore for you. Mm. You know, you've experienced it and mm. that's now what you preach from. Yeah, and I think that's what God does for us in the midst of all that pain and suffering. Yeah. No, you're describing that it's fundamentally changed you. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's and and some people describe it like it's a before and after. You've you're not the same, no, and you can, no. and you can't be the same person when no. you've gone through something like that. Mm. And and I was thinking that how how that's been embodied, and you're just describing how it's embodied in you now, and so it comes out in your words and 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 in what you're preaching, and and I did kind of just wonder. 
that when you hear somebody who is going through suffering, what is it like for you? I think I'm much more empathetic. Hmm. And it's not that I know what they are experiencing because we never do. Hmm. You know, our son died suddenly. One minute he was alive, next minute he's dead. That was it. Bang. No time to question it. No time to try and bargain with God or negotiate. But I have walked with a couple of, of families who have had children who have died of of cancers. Hmm. And, and I just think, I don't know how you do that. Because hmm. I couldn't. You know, I... I I just I don't know how I don't know how a parent can walk with a child, watching them just fade away, you know. Um, but I understand what they're going to feel at the end of it, you know. I yeah. I know the loss that they're experiencing, yeah. but I but I can't say I understand what they're going through in that journey, you know, because I've never been there, but I do understand what loss is like. So I am able to empathise with them, and I sort of, I guess, I can stand a little bit in their shoes. But yeah, but I can't, I, I can't say that I know what it's like for them because I've never been there. And grief is, I think, so individual for all of us. You know, even, even when older people watch their spouses fade away with something like dementia or. Parkinson's or something like that, you know, they're going through that same same loss process you know, and all the good times that they experience together and it's all just is beginning to fade away for them. And so, you know, how do we walk with those sorts of people? You know, how do we we share their pain without trying to be glib and, and give them, you know, these the answers that we trot out about, you know, oh, oh, you, you, you know some of the ones that I talk about, I guess, but you know, all things work together for good. Mm. You know? and, and, and fundamentally, that is true. You know? Fundamentally, I, I believe it is true. But, you know, when you're facing death, I don't want you to tell me that. <laughs> trot out a glib verse and a sort of oh all things will be work for good you know it'll be fine you know that's not what I need you to hear I just want you to sit with me and cry with me share my pain I don't I, I will discover that as time goes on but yeah I don't want the glib she'll be right type of answers in the midst of all of that yeah mm. Mm. I really like what you're saying and that you're, you understand empathy. You've got a deep well of that and you understand loss, but you're highlighting that we'll, we'll never quite understand what another person's experience is. And I think that's really important that maybe we need to remove that line. I understand what you feel. Maybe we just, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we ever understand yeah. what another person feels. We might have an inkling. Mm. You know, and, and, I, and I have to say, that how I have experienced grief of, of my son's death and how my wife has experienced it is enormously different, absolutely enormously different. You know, for her, it is still often an incredibly painful 
thing. There are days when she will wake up in tears. Mm. I don't tend to, but there are days for her when she just wakes up in tears and the whole day is just a disaster because she's just remembering him. You know, and um, so, so our grief is different, you know, and our pain is different. So to say, oh, I know how you feel, mm. yeah, is often is a little bit of a glib, glib response. I think it makes us feel better because <laughs> we feel like we've been empathetic. Yeah. <laughs> but but actually, it's not. Empathy isn't saying that you know what they're feeling. Empathy is being able to say, I will sit with you in the midst mm. of what you are experiencing, without giving you those glib answers. Yeah. I just think that was a great definition for empathy. So thank you for that. It's oh. really powerful. What questions has this experience raised for you that you continue to sit with? A very wise lecturer once said to me at Kerry, if you're asking the right questions, you actually don't need answers. <laughs> mm. At the time, I didn't really understand what they were talking about. But I think it's that whole thing of, you know, if you're asking the right questions, you don't need necessarily to get a black and white answer to that question. Because what you're doing by asking that question is allowing allowing yourself to be open to, to a whole lot of possible answers to it. Mm. And it may be that actually there is no one exact black and white answer to that question. Yeah. You know, it may be that actually there are two or three answers to that question. So for me, why didn't God heal my son? Raises all sorts of possible answers. Mm. Some of which when you begin to explore them, you suddenly think, well actually, now that's no good because if I go keep going down that track, what it portrays about God is something that I actually don't believe God is. Mm. You know, because if you're not careful, you can go down a track that says, well, God is very judgmental. And, you know, that idea of, oh, the reason that they're sick is because they've got sin in their life. Mm. So then you're starting to say, well, God won't heal because somebody had sinned. Well, for goodness sake, all of us fail. But then you've got to back that up against the theology where we say, well, didn't Jesus die for all of our sins? Hasn't God wiped that away? And therefore sickness can't be part of it. And even Jesus himself says sickness isn't a result of sin. You know, in, in the in the New Testament, there's a couple of stories where Jesus says to the disciples, it's not about sin. So I think, you know, our questions allow us to explore options. Mm. A good question, a good question should allow us be able to explore options without necessarily always anchoring on one final answer. Mm. Yeah. And so for me, you know, why doesn't God intervene all the time? Why does God choose to do it sometimes? And often in situations that you think, why would God answer that one but not answer this one? You know what I mean? Or is it just a coincidence? But there are times, you know, I've sat in, in a meeting and we've prayed for something and almost instantly the answer, there's been an answer. And you think, how come God answered so directly 
in this situation, but he didn't answer my prayer for Nathaniel. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, the questions become endless, really. But I guess for me, my understanding is much more that God is with us yeah. in the midst of it all. That's his promise to us by his spirit that, that whatever you face, I'll be there with you and I'll help you out the other side. And you won't be the same. Mm. And I like your how question. How yep. can we journey together? Yeah. And and alongside. And so that how question opens up so much. Mm. Mm. You mentioned a poem that you yeah. tried to, to read to us that was helpful for you. But before you, you do that, I wonder if there's people listening to this conversation who are in the midst of an incredibly difficult tragic situation of whatever yeah whatever situation it might be whether it's the death of a loved one or, or something else what would you like to say to to them if anything <laughs> i guess i'd want to say you know gosh immediately i feel like i have to defend god isn't that is that an interesting is it, it it's so ingrained in us mm-hmm. um but I guess I would want to say that that in the midst of the pain, somewhere God is present. It may not be easy to see, and it may take you a long time to actually see where God has been in the midst of that pain. But I do believe that God is there, hmm. and that when you weep, God weeps with you, that God feels the pain that you are feeling and it breaks his heart that you go through it. And I really do believe that. I, I think that God identifies with us in what we, what we experience. Mm. But he is there to help us get through it and out the other side. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I just feel this conversation has just been a gift Thank you for opening and letting us see your journey. We are so grateful. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunities to share. And I hope that what it does is it just gives someone else some hope that in the midst of whatever it is they're facing, that that actually there is an answer. There are things you can, can live with and even when the worst happens to you, I, you know, when our son died, you know, we, it's like the world came to an end at one level. But, I mean, we had other children. And so in a sense, you had to continue because for them, but actually you, there are days when you think, oh, what's the point? And um, yeah, but we, we discovered that we could and we did. So, mm. And if you could end with this poem that also ministered to you, that would be wonderful. Okay. So this is a poem written by um, Anna McKenzie. I don't know who she is. In fact, I've never ever looked up who she is. So they're funny. But the poem has sat on my wall and in my memory for a long, long time. And it goes like this. And so we must begin to live again starting from scratch with the rubble of our lives and picking up the dust of dreams once dreamt. 
and we stand there naked in our vulnerability. We, without a future, safe, defined, delivered, now salute you, God, knowing that nothing is safe, secure, and viable here, except you, and even that eludes our minds at times. And we hate you as we love you, and our anger is as strong as our pain, our grief as deep as oceans, and our need as great as mountains. So as we take our first few steps forward into the abyss of the future, we would pray for courage to go places for the first time and just be there. Courage to become what we have not been before and accept it. And bravery to look deep within our souls to find new ways. We did not want it easy, God. But we did not contemplate that it be quite this hard, this long, this lonely. So if we are to be turned inside out and upside down, with even our pockets shaken, just to check what's rattling and left behind, we pray that you will keep faith with us and we with you, holding our hands as we weep, giving us strength to continue and showing us beacons along the way. episode of the changes ahead podcast if that resonated with you or you've got thoughts about the changes ahead for the church we'd love to hear from you so get in touch on instagram or facebook at changes ahead cast or email us at the changes ahead podcast at gmail.com see you next time